Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. I appreciate you guys being here and uh, sticking it out. My name's Jay, and uh, we're going to get cranking uh, right into uh, the seven stages of spiritual growth. And so uh, this session actually will be broken up into two parts. And so if you come today, we're going to get about halfway through the material. So if you come back tomorrow morning, uh, prayerfully, we'll get through all of it. And uh, thank God for Brian Hedges, man. That guy's like, he just, I like, I just... When he gets going, man, I'm just like, keep going, keep going, keep going. So uh, he's an awesome guy. Uh, my name's Jay. I'm a pastor in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, North Alabama. been pastoring uh, for about 10 years. Got saved in 1997. And uh, God just, man, I, I, when I share my testimony with people, I tell them uh, I am the most boring, like, cookie-cutter, uh, not that Christianity is boring or, or Christ is boring, but I got saved not growing up in church. I got discipled. I started serving in ministry. I started discipling other people. I went through all of our training at our local church. I led ministry, and then God called me out to, to pastor a church. And, and it, it, that sounds really like cookie cutter, uh, and I'm not bragging on me at all, man. It's just the Lord's faithfulness and His grace and mercy in our life. And so uh, I'm really excited, man, because you're, you're a part of something tremendous at this conference. Discipleship is going to rock uh, your world. Uh, and so how many of you in the room are being discipled right now? Like you're currently being discipled. Okay, awesome. And how many of you are discipling other people right now? Yeah, okay, awesome. Praise the Lord. All right. Anybody that's just kind of like, hey, man, this is new to me, and I'm just here to kind of learn. Anybody like that? Yeah? You can raise your hand. No? <laughs> I don't know what to do. Okay. Uh, that's cool. You don't have to raise your hand. It's all, it's, it's all good. So, so we got a mix of disciplers and uh, people being discipled. And so this material that we're going to cover uh, this session and then tomorrow morning, these seven stages of spiritual growth, uh, if it's new to you, uh, it's really going to help you, number one, learn how you're supposed to grow according to the scripture. But if you're discipling somebody, it's going to help you understand the person that you're discipling, the, the process of their spiritual growth uh, as you're discipling. So it's going to be a really cool, uh, informative uh, tool for us to use as disciple makers. Let's pray and uh, I think we'll go until 12. And so I uh, hope you got some coffee at the break. Let's pray and we'll get going here. Father, we love you. Thank you again for the time. Uh, Lord, I pray that you bless it. Uh, I'm thankful for the privilege to stand and just teach. And I'll, I pray that your word and your Holy Spirit does the work. And uh, Lord, I'm excited about the potential, uh, not only in this room, but just at this conference of how you can use this uh, to rock the nations uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, help us to be found faithful with what we've been given. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I was thinking at the break, you know, uh, especially after just, man, knowing that this conference is full of not only night sessions, but this tons of uh, content during the day. When I, when I grew up as a kid, uh, this is kind of a weird story. You don't think it's really weird, but I'm weird, so you'll figure it out. Uh, when, when I was a kid, my mom would buy, she wouldn't buy orange juice in the gallon. She always bought these frozen, concentrated uh, things of orange juice. You might know what I'm talking about. And so you'd freeze that thing or whatever, and then it was time to make orange juice. You would thaw that thing out, and, and it was concentrated, and you had to put it in the, in the pitcher, and then you had to add water. And, uh, and I was, like, as a kid, man, I was just addicted to sugar. I loved it. And so when, when she would be making, like, orange juice, I would be, like, scraping the concentrated stuff out and, like, licking it and almost getting, like, a sugar rush because of just how 
potent the concentrate was. DiscipleConf is really concentrated uh, emphasis on discipleship. And so what I'm trying to tell you is you're going to have to take the next year and take everything that you got this, this week uh, and really dilute it into your life, understand it. It's going to take you some time uh, to really understand what you're getting this week. And so we're all at different levels. Uh, I'm just trying to encourage you, man, concentrated emphasis this week on discipleship. Take the time over the next months and even year uh, to dilute it into your life and make it a reality, okay? So we're going to talk about spiritual growth uh, this morning. We're going to talk about spiritual maturing process because God has a process of spiritual growth. Uh, we see it in the scriptures. We also see it patterned in Jesus' ministry. We even see it in 2 Peter chapter 1. And, and the, most of the, the verses are going to be in your notes this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8 is a, is a passage we're going to refer back to a lot in this session and next session uh, tomorrow morning. So let's read it together and just follow along. 2 Peter 1 says, Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And, and so there's some things that we have to add sequentially to grow properly according to God's Word. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue you add knowledge. And then to knowledge, you add temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God gives us seven things in that passage to add to our faith. We also, as we study the Bible, we're going to see that there are seven stages of spiritual growth, God uses human growth and development to illustrate for us spiritual growth and development. And so these seven things that we add to our faith are layered on these seven levels of spiritual growth. And we're also going to see a pattern of these things in the life of Jesus and his disciples. And so you're going to get a lot of stuff today, just, just again, uh, concentrated <laughs> material. And so number one, we're, we're going to talk about babes because because the first step or the first stage in spiritual growth is those that are babes in Christ. And, uh, and so the milestone that happens at this level of spiritual growth is spiritual birth. And I just want to remind us this morning that salvation is a birth. It's new life. It's spiritual life. Uh, it's, it's not a... You're not adopting a religion. You're not adopting a de denomination. You're not adopting a tradition. Salvation is spiritual life. I mean, it's a birth process. John chapter 1 tells us in verse 12 that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And so uh, as a lost person, when you re receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, you were born again into God's family. And that's what a blessing, right? I mean, that that is... That ought to rock your world like forever. I mean, you should never get over the fact that you are born again into God's family. Uh, many of you remember the story in John chapter 3 when, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, right? This religious uh, ruler of Israel. And Jesus told him, hey man, you must be born again, right? To see the kingdom of God. It, you must be born again. So it's, it's a spiritual birth that we experience. And so the thing that gets you growing as a Christian, number one, is being born again. It's a spiritual birth, and just like physical children, spiritual babies need certain things. And, and Brian alluded to this a little bit earlier, uh, but we're going to get into the specifics a little bit uh, this morning. The first thing that, that a spiritual babe needs is milk. 
spiritual babe needs milk, right? A spiritual babe needs nourishment. And if you look in your notes, uh, again, most of these verses are going to be in your notes, not on the screen. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. The Bible says, as newborn what? Babes desiring the sincere milk of the what? Of the word that ye may grow thereby. And so, again, Peter's writing and he's saying, hey, you know how, how physical babies need milk to grow? Well, guess what spiritual babies need? They need milk. They need the milk of God's word. Milk is just, you know, not to be gross or weird, milk is like pre-digested food, right? A, a mother takes in nourishment, you know, solid food, steak, potato, whatever, salad, uh, but then her body takes that and transforms that into a broken down substance that a babe can, can tolerate, a babe can eat. And, and, and really Christianity, that's what it's about. Babes in Christ, new Christians, number one, they need milk. They don't need steak and, and potatoes and all those different things. They need the milk of God's Word so that they can grow. The second thing that a new Christian needs is they need a mother. And, and God tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that, that Paul considered himself a spiritual mother, so to speak, as, as he's dealing with the Thessalonians. He says, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her what? Her children. And, and you want to pay attention to that word as, by the way, freebie, but that's a rule of Bible study. God uses the words like and as to teach us spiritual truth. And so, and so Paul says, listen, we were as a nurse cherishing her children among you. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing uh, not to have imparted unto you the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. And you know, I don't know how many of you in the room are, are, are blessed with children or, or raising children, but I'm just telling you, man, there's something special about a new birth, and there's something special about the bond between a mother and a child, man. It, it, it's just a very, very special thing. Uh, that's how that child survives. And so to grow, to grow out of the babe spiritual stage, and some of you in the room may be a babe in Christ. And man, I'm, I'm glad you're here. You may have just gotten saved or maybe just starting this journey of discipleship. Man, it's so, it's so awesome that you would invest your time at this conference. Here's what, here's what you need to grow. You need to, you need to be hungry for God's Word, but you've got to have somebody that can spiritually feed you and help raise you. Does that make sense? You need a discipler in your life. And, and babes in Christ, you know, Brian said it earlier, when somebody gets saved, we don't leave them at the hospital, right? Uh, we don't put them out on the street for them to defend themselves. We don't even bring them home, a, a, a physical baby, and put them in our house and just say, okay, you're home now. Hope you make it. That would be, that'd be the worst parenting ever, right? But how many times do we do that in church and Christianity, right? We, we win people to Christ. We invite them to church. We get them in church, and then we say, man, if you just, you know, Read your Bible, man, and, and start tithing, and you'll figure this thing out. That is so jacked up, man. Our churches are so jacked up because we don't understand biblical discipleship. So we have to have not only God's Word, but we got to have a spiritual mother that's able to help uh, this child grow. Uh, and that's what discipleship is. And so uh, the second thing that we're going to look at on each one of these stages is characteristics. Okay, what, what's a baby like? Uh, how many of you have kids in the room? Okay. Uh, did, did, how many of you had kids that cried a, a decent amount when you brought them home from the hospital? You might, you might like that. The rest of you had perfect children. Okay, God bless you. Okay, uh, I have the reputation with my mom. If you if you talk to my mom, she'll tell you I was a really colic, 
colicky kid. I cried a lot, like for years, apparently. I don't know. I think I ruined her, like emotionally and mentally. Uh, so she says, she, she leverages that against me a, a good bit. Uh, so, so babes have a certain characteristic. Babes in Christ have certain characteristics. Uh, number one, they're really carnal. Um, they just came out of uh, their sinful life. They've responded to the gospel. But babes in Christ, man, are still full of carnality. They're not looking like the image of Christ yet, okay? Uh, it's not uncommon to see a new Christian still giving into the sinful desires of their flesh, okay? Uh, when I share my testimony, depending on who I'm talking to, I'll go into different aspects of my life before Christ. Uh, one of the things that characterized my life as a lost person uh, was very foul language <laughs> and a foul attitude about life in general, a lot of anger. And uh, man, after I got saved, it took God a couple of weeks to kind of start cleaning that up. And if you looked at me day one after I got saved and month one after I got saved, I looked a little bit different a month later. And so I was still kind of walking in some of the desires of my, like my flesh. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1, this is a church, man. This is a church of believers at Corinth. He says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, fleshly, even as unto babes in Christ. And so the Corinthians were, were still babies, baby Christians. He says, I can't even talk to you spiritually yet because you're still, you're still carnal. He said in, in verse 3, uh, you know, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And so we need to understand, if you're a disciple in the room, you need to understand that that person you're discipling, if they're a babe in Christ, well, don't expect them to be completely conformed to the image of Christ when you begin discipling them. It's going to take time. It's gonna t that's why God put you in their life, to be their spiritual father, to be their spiritual mother, to help them grow into the image of Christ. And so, and so, number one, babes are still carnal. Number two, babes need to be fed. And, and this is a really important point because babes in Christ are incapable of feeding themselves from the Word of God, right? You bring your baby, your physical baby home from the hospital, and uh, it's up to you to, to feed that child as a mother, as a nursing mother. You've got to do all the work, and, and all the baby can do is just feed what's been provided for it. And, and spiritually speaking, can I just tell you, man, babes in Christ, we do them a disservice because many times we invite them to church, we tell them to sit down and hope you make it. Well, there, there has to be some intentionality. There has to be some preparation in order to feed a babe the Word of God. And so Paul understood this. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, I have fed you with what? Milk. With milk. Not with what? Okay, and, and so again, just a, just a maybe helpful point to those of you that are disciplers in the room. You don't bring your, your D2 or your ministry tools and training material that you're learning into your discipleship relationship because your, your disciple doesn't need MTT. They need milk. And so what you're learning and continuing to learn, that's for you. That's to help make you strong as a, as a maturing believer in Christ. But as you're discipling people, listen, make sure that you're feeding them with milk, especially in this babe stage. They don't need to know the seven dispensations, right? They don't need to know the seven judgments. They don't need to know all those things. They need to know Christ. They need to know the simplicity of the Word of God so that they can grow. And so uh, make sure as a discipler you're discerning what you're feeding this person that you're discipling. 
That's why you have material, right? That's why we've created discipleship curriculum. And, and again, man, the, the curriculum itself is just a tool, but we have to use discernment as we're discipling other people. And so uh, the other thing I would say is if, if you're a disciple in this room, appreciate the milk of God's Word. Appreciate just the simplicity of sitting down, reading the Bible, and just taking it in as what it is. Appreciate the simplicity of a discipleship lesson. When you start saying, hey, when are we going to get to the real meaty things? That probably means you still need the milk. It, it, it probably just means, because mature Christians know how to get the meat themselves. Does that make sense? If you're having to receive it, from someone else, it's, it's probably not meat. It, 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 it's milk. And so be thankful for that, man. Rejoice. Anybody like ice cream? Hello? I mean, I mean, I mean, I eat other things now. I eat steak and chicken and all these different things, but bro, I still pour a cup of milk and slam some cookies in that. And I, and I still enjoy a big bowl of ice cream, man. It's milk. It ain't meat, but I still enjoy it at times. But that's not the main portion of my diet. As, a, as an adult now, but I still enjoy it. And so if you're a babe in Christ, understand that's what you need. Uh, a third characteristic of babes in Christ is that they're unskillful. They're unskillful in God's Word. And again, the references are on your notes. The, the writer of Hebrews says, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a what? And let me just tell you, there's nothing wrong with being a babe in Christ. And there's nothing wrong with being unskillful in the Word of God. I was 21 years old when I received the gospel and received Christ. I didn't grow up in church. I started coming to church. And uh, the guy that was leading the college ministry at the time was teaching on prophecy and the nation of Israel. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like showing up at church and, you know, turn to this book and turn to this book. And I learned early on my favorite book of the Bible was the book of index. Because <laughs> I had no clue, man. I was like, I, have, I don't know where anything is in the Bible. I was, I was unskillful in the Word of God, and yet in that environment, I never felt like an idiot out from anybody else. I did feel like an idiot myself, but, but I just recognized I need to learn. I got no clue what I'm doing. And so these, these are characteristics, carnal characteristics of those that are babes in Christ, and we need to be thankful for the new convert, and we need to be thankful for babes in Christ, but we also know that they need to grow. So how do they grow? They need to add virtue to their faith. And again, if you'll flip back to the first page in your notes, it says, uh, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, what? So there's something that is, has got to be added to faith in order for a babe in Christ to grow. And that's something that's very specific. What has to be added is virtue. Virtue, very simply, is a voluntary obedience to the truth. Simply put, it's choosing to do what you know to do. And, and so, uh, can I, again, I'm going to share a lot of personal experience today and tomorrow just because, man, that's how I learn from people's experience. Uh, uh, as I grew in discipleship and I grew in ministry at my home church, um, one of the things where we kind of messed up in our discipleship ministry years ago was that we, we started adding a bunch of knowledge to faith instead of expecting people to add virtue to faith. Virtue means that once you know what to do, you actually live that out by faith. Does that, does that make sense? 
it doesn't mean that we give you more to know so that you just know more. It, it actually means that we give you more to do so that when you know what to do, you just do that. And so when, and so when we're talking about discipleship, virtue is just obeying the truth that you know to do. And so, so those of you that are getting discipled in the room, listen, let me encourage you. When you sit down and, and that person is investing the Word of God in you and you're hearing from, from the lesson and from the Scriptures, man, here's what God says about prayer. Here's what God says about giving. Here's what God says about local church involvement. Well, you know what to do. So then act in faith based on what God's told you, right? That, that's virtue. It's just doing what you know to do. You don't need more knowledge. You, you need to just do what you know to do. Because the problem is, if virtue is preceded by knowledge, you as a disciple are going to get puffed up. You're going to get puffed up. And you'll... You may know a lot, and you need to know some things, but you need to live your life out in faith. You need to live in obedience and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point of being a disciple, because that's what pleases Him. It's not how much, how much Scripture we can just rattle off or how much we can argue about. It, it's, it's actually walking in faith to what we know. And, and so this virtue thing is really, really important. And so when we look at Jesus' ministry, again, there's... There's kind of a picture or a snapshot of, of this principle in Christ's ministry. Uh, and we see it early on in both John the Baptist and Christ. Uh, we see that their ministry began by this preaching of repentance. Repentance is just a change of mind. It, it results in a change of direction. And so, again, in your notes, uh, when you study Matthew... Uh, the Bible says in saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke chapter 3, the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? Uh, they're asking Christ. They're asking John the Baptist, Okay, look, we need to repent of our sin. What do we need to do? Verse 12, What shall we do? That's virtue. Virtue is just doing what you know to do. And so if you're a discipler in the room, man, when you teach a lesson in discipleship, Make sure at the end of that lesson there's practical application and, and love your disciple enough to say, okay, let's, let's talk about what you've learned. And, and are you living those things out by faith? Give me some examples of how you're living that out by faith in your life. Oh, I'm not doing that. Okay, well, let's, thank you for your honesty. Let's talk about that. Let's not keep going six more lessons. Let's try to figure out why, why this is a challenge in your life. Does that make sense? Are you guys okay with that? And, and, and so if you're a disciple in the room, man, listen... God wants you walking in, in, in virtue, in, in repentance, in, in doing what you know to do so that you ultimately can please God with your life. Okay, uh, Repentance always hits at the heart of sin in, in one's life. And, uh, and again, for time's sake, you have a lot of references that, because remember, this morning is concentrated material. But in John chapter 3, Nicodemus was a religious Pharisee, and he had religious pride. And Jesus had to meet him at his point of sin. In John chapter 4, there was this woman at uh, the well who was an adulterer, right, and a fornicator who had multiple husbands. In Mark chapter 10, there was a rich young ruler that had much possessions. And, and I think Joe said it last night, listen, salvation is free, but discipleship is going to cost us everything. It's going to cost us everything to grow in a right relationship with God. And so that babe stage is really important. It's, it's the moment of conversion. It's marked by carnality, and in order to grow, there has to be virtue added to a person's faith, okay? And, and so, uh, by the way, you, you never stop doing what you know to do. 
uh, virtue should, should continue in our life as a disciple of Christ, right? But it comes especially importantly uh, after the moment of faith in a, in a disciple's life. And so that's the babe stage. And then the second stage is the stage of little child. And, and again, man, you're getting concentrated materials, so take good notes. And, and if you have questions, I'd love to follow up with you later. The second stage is, is a little bit of growth from a babe to a little child. The spiritual milestone is what we're going to call spiritual worship. Spiritual worship. By the way, worship is just surrender. It's sacrifice. It's obedience. Does anybody know in the room the first mention of the word worship? I know the preachers in the room do. Uh, anybody that's non-pastor want to answer this question? Where's the first mention of the word worship in the Bible? Genesis chapter 22, right? And it's Abraham and it's Isaac and, and God has, has told uh, Abraham, look, offer your son to me on the mount. And Abraham says, look, me and the lad, we're going to go yonder and worship. And worship had nothing to do with music. There was no instrumentation. There was no singing. But it was obedience, and it was sacrifice and submission. That's what, that's what God desired, and, and that's what worship is. And, and when we start doing what we know to do, well, then we, we grow, and, and we develop a life of worship. And so this little child stage is, is really the, the, the stage of spiritual worship, so to speak. Uh, little children understand the nature of the relationship they have with the Father. And this is really important. Spiritual little children begin to walk with, talk to, and admire the Father. The relationship begins to deepen. And, and you see this in your own lives with, with your children, those of you that have children. You, you, you see that, man, there, there's a progression from that babe that's completely dependent on you for everything to now where they've grown a little bit. They can crawl, they can stand up, and they, they're starting to, to form. You know, their mind is forming, their body is forming. That's what's happening in this little, little child stage of spiritual development. And, and we see this phrase used very specifically in the scriptures, okay, so 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, I write unto you, who? Little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that's from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. And again, uh, 1 John has a lot of those stages of spiritual growth mentioned in, in several verses. Uh, so we'll end up in 1 John a lot today and tomorrow. But he says about these little children, listen, I'm writing unto you because your sins are, for, are forgiven for his name's sake. Man, a little child knows that their sins are forgiven. That's a key mark in spiritual maturity. And we'll get to that in just a second. And so just understand that little children walk, talk, and begin to admire the Father. Number two, little children are humble. And we get this out of Matthew chapter 18. They're not so puffed up with knowledge that they think they know everything. They're humble. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 3, it says, and, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, uh, ye shall, know, uh, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child. And again, I know the kingdom of heaven context, but just look at the, the, the comparison uh, with this stage of spiritual growth. Whosoever shall humble himself as this little child the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so little children are humble. They're, they're not puffed up full of knowledge, okay? But they're also not fully mature Christians. They're not, they're not fully conformed to the image of Christ. 
And so some of the characteristics that we see in their life is they, they have instability. Little children, uh, spiritually speaking, they're still unstable. They hadn't got it all figured out yet, okay? They're still learning, and in your notes, the next point, little children, did I, miss, did I jump too far? No, I'm okay. sorry. Yeah, okay. I just thought I clicked it too fast for you. Little children are still learning to walk with God, and they still stumble and fall into sin. And so do you, you guys remember in your own, in your own ho homes with your children, right? Your, your little baby man starts crawling and then starts pulling up, and you can see them standing, right? And when they're standing, it's like this. It's like they can't just stand. They're, they're like, you know, just like one small breeze would just take them out. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, they take like one step and then they just, they crash on the floor. And you're like, ah. And, and you're, what you're doing is you're just watching that as a parent, man. And you're, you're anticipating not only that they can stand, but they can take that one step. And then they can string together another step, right? And another step and another step. And the next thing you know, you hope you got your phone ready for those first steps where they go from dad to mom or mom to dad or whatever. You hope you capture that because that's like the most precious thing, man. That's a, that's a stage of growth, right? And, and listen, in Christianity with, with spiritual children, little children begin to walk with God. They're still going to stumble. Please understand if you're discipling, you have to understand this process because people that you're discipling, man, they're, they're still going to, they're, they're trying to figure out how to walk with the Lord. So they're not going to be sinless and perfect and, co and fully conform to the image of Christ yet. So have grace with them, right? Have mercy with them because God has those things for you as a discipler. You, by the way, you still fall into sin no matter how mature you get. You, you still struggle with sin. And so, and so little children, we have to understand that, listen, they're not stable yet. They still stumble. They still fall. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, and again, very specifically, right? He says, my Little children, these things I write unto you that you what? That you sin not. And, and, and I think the, the, the reason John is writing this is he's saying, hey, you need some written words so that you, you stop sinning. You need to be conscious of sin. You need, need to make the right decision concerning your sin as it relates to the Scripture. And so when God says to... To stop doing something, stop doing it. And when God says start doing something, start doing it. And, and, and learn to have a right relationship with Christ. And, and, and he says, hey, listen, and if any man sin, and there's a lot of any, any mans and womans in the room, right? We have an advocate with the Father, Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the world. And so, and so we need to understand and we need to teach our disciples, listen, Man, when you stumble and fall, okay, God doesn't want that for your life, but when you do, you have an advocate with the Father. And, and there's a way for reconciliation, and there's a way for restoration. And listen, in, in our own homes with our physical children, if, if our baby or our little child is learning to walk and they fall down, we don't go yell at them and berate them and beat them down. You stupid. Blah, 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 blah. We don't do that. Man, we love them, and we help stand them back up. It, it takes a father and a mother that's motivated by love to stand them back up on their feet and say, try again, try again, try again. I'm thankful, man. <laughs> I'm thankful as a 21-year-old young man that the, the, the older man that discipled me was, was a model of Christ. Uh, and when I stumbled and fall,
fell, he didn't just kick me and keep me down. He, he, helped, me, he helped me understand that, hey, I can be forgiven. I need to get back up and keep going. You know? That's the kind of disciples we, we need to be. And, and those of you that are being discipled, that's the kind of disciple you need to have in your life. First John chapter 3 talks about that little children are easily deceived. First uh, John chapter 5 and verse 21 talks about little children uh, have a temptation still for idolatry. Let's go there real quick. We've got, we got just a few minutes. Go to First John chapter 5 and verse uh, 21 in your Bible. We'll just look at a few of these verses. <clears throat> you guys doing okay on the pace? Everybody okay? Look at verse 21. We'll go verse 21. We'll actually back up to 1 John 3, 2. This will also keep you awake. And it'll also let me get some coffee. 1 John 5. Look at verse 21. John writes, he says, Little children, keep, yourself, keep yourselves from what? Idols. idols. Not uncommon for a young Christian, man, to have a life full of idols. Whether that's job... Uh, you know, the, we always used, used to th- use the three C's back in the day, right? Cars, cash, cribs, stuff like that. But whatever, whatever the idolatry is now, you know, I don't know. Does anybody even use the word cribs anymore? Okay. <laughs> was that like late 90s, I think? Brian was dropping some pretty good references earlier, man. I, I, that was, he is well-versed in culture. It was awesome. Uh, not uncommon for little children to still have idols in their life, man. There's things that are going to draw their attention, right? Their worship. And, uh, and they're trying to learn how to have a right relationship with God. So as a discipler, understand that. You know, if you go back to 1 John 3, right, verses 7 and 8, uh, He that committeth sin is of the devil, uh, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. Uh, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, uh, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. And so we're talking about the dual nature uh, that, that every young Christian has got to learn, man, that... that <laughs> His new nature in Christ is, is in the person, the image of Christ, but that old nature is still going to battle against him, right? And so he's, he's got to understand the dual nature. And, and this is where we, we mentioned earlier, we want to get this point. Many Christians early on struggle with the assurance of, that, of their salvation. And so this little child stage, I believe, is, is critical. It's a critical growth marker where someone moves from the question, am I really saved? To the statement, I know I'm saved, based on the authority of God's word, based on the, as, as Brian said earlier, the finished work of Christ. It's not anything I'm doing to save myself or to keep myself saved. It's it's finished in the person of Christ Jesus. So this is a big deal. First uh, John two verse twelve, John says, "I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you, for His name's sake." And so. This is really a big deal, especially for those of you that are discipling other people. You need to realize that if it less than whatever, the person you're discipling has still not nailed down whether or not they're saved, there's, they're still not maturing past this point. Little children have nailed down, Mark Trotter used to say, little children have nailed down the genuineness of their conversion. It's real, and it, they know it. They know they're saved. They're not, they're not battling back and forth. Man, did I pray it right? Did I say it right? Was the temperature in the room right? Was the lighting right? They know it. And, and, and some of you may have that testimony in this room, and I'm not trying to belittle that at all. Listen, 
But at some point, you have to come to terms with what God says in His Word about your salvation. It's finished in Christ. And, and so if you struggle with that, just know, okay, I'm maturing. I'm a babe in Christ, but I need to know what God's Word says about my salvation. And you've got to settle that issue by faith and that trust that Jesus Christ did everything that He said He would do concerning your salvation. Does that make sense? Does that, does that help? Okay, so, so we need to understand little children are still uh, unstable. And so what they need, what they need to add in their life is they need to add knowledge. <clears throat> they need to add knowledge. And again, go back to that first page in your notes, first, or Second Peter chapter 1. Add to your faith, what? Virtue. Add to virtue, what? And, and, and the sequence is so important, man, because, because faith is when we come into Christ, by grace are you saved through faith, we start doing what we know to do, and then once we start doing what we know to do, then we need to add more knowledge so that we know more to do that we need to do. Does that make sense? If we add faith, and I, you know, I'm sure some of the pastors in the room can relate to this, when we add knowledge to faith first, we create puffed up monsters, deformed Christians that don't grow properly in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And man, they'll rattle off every version of every verse of every dispensation and doctrine, but have no interest in doing what God says in their own life. And, uh, and that's a malformation. Uh, that's not a, a, a maturing Christian that's maturing biblically. But little children do need knowledge. And, and, so, and so in order for them to grow, once they're doing what they know to do, they need more. They need more truth, okay? Knowledge gets added to virtue. This is really important. The sequencing is really important. Knowledge gets added to virtue. It doesn't get added to faith. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 13, it says, Therefore my people are gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge. And their honorable men are famished, and their multitudes are dried up with thirst. Hosea says in Hosea 4 and verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of what? Knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Okay, And, and so the point is that, that little children, now that they have developed an attitude of worship, hey, whatever God says... We're just going to go do that by faith. Because they developed an attitude of worship, they can be entrusted with more, with more knowledge, with, with more Scripture. Um, and we know from the Word of God that, that knowledge itself, from God's Word, it, it will transform us. It will transform us into the image of Christ. God's Word, getting into our hearts and minds, and us living it by faith and receiving it by faith, it will transform our life. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your, your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, and, and, so, and so knowledge will help. Uh, number one, it gets added to virtue. Number two, it transforms us because knowledge renews our mind. Discipleship is, just learning, is really just the process of God changing our mind to the mind of Christ. That's what discipleship is. We, 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 we want to get the mind of God. Jay needs to stop thinking like Jay, and he needs to start thinking like Christ and have the mind of Christ that, that dictates the things in his life. Number three, knowledge also renews us. Okay, 
Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 9 and 10. Lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in, and this is very important, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And again, this, this new man that we have on the inside, man, we, we ought to be constantly conforming to the image of Christ. The more of the Word of God we know and we understand, the more it should make us like Christ. It, it shouldn't puff us up. It, it should conform our life to Christ and the image of Christ, okay? And then number four, knowledge sanctifies us. It sets us apart. It sets us apart from our sin unto Christ. It sets us apart from the world unto Christ. It, it, it's something that sanctifies us. John 17, 17, right? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And, and so God's word is the sanctifying agent in our life. And again, this is why, this is why knowing God's word is so important if we just adopt a system of religion or tradition or legalism, that is never able to set us apart unto Christ. It, it, it's the truth of God's Word that sanctifies us and sets us apart. And, and, and so, as, again, as a discipler, because you guys are doing the legwork, so to speak, man, we've got to make sure we always bring our disciples back to the Bible because it's got all the answers. It's got all the answers, and, and if we'll just invest the Word of God into the lives of people, God's Word itself will set people apart from whatever they need to be set apart from unto Christ. And if we try to do it any other way than the Word of God, well, it ain't going to turn out so good. It'll be a religion, it'll be a tradition, it'll be a legalism, whatever, whatever and it won't be real. And it won't, it won't result in transformation. It'll just result in man's best efforts in his flesh. And, and we don't need that, man. We don't need that in our churches, okay? And, and so we, we see a pattern of this in Christ's ministry. Uh, we, and again, we're taking those seven levels, and we're taking those seven things to add, and we're also overlaying that over Christ's ministry and say, man, there's kind of a snapshot of that with Christ and His disciples, okay? And so, and so at this point, we, we see it beginning at Christ's baptism, until his move to Capernaum, Capernaum. And, and the second point in your notes, Christ wanted his disciples to understand who he was, to confirm his absolute deity, and he wanted to enlighten his disciples' eyes. He wanted, he wanted them to understand clearly who he was, right? He wanted to give them knowledge of who he was. He was God in the flesh. He wanted them to see him as, he, as who he truly was. And, and so, again, if, if you go uh, to the verses in your text or in your, in your notes, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is, my, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, Christ wanted, he wanted his followers to understand who he was, that he is God in the flesh. He wanted to enlighten their eyes. He wanted to give knowledge of who he was. John chapter 1, verse 29. Uh, the next day, John, uh, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. This is who he is. He's the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Right? John chapter 1. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first finds his own brother Simon. He said to him, We have found who? 
We, we found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ, okay? We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. This is who he is, right? They, they were gaining knowledge of who Christ is. And so we see that uh, in his earthly ministry. You can, you can see it in John chapter 2, the, the miracle of the water and the wine. When, when Christ uh, changed the water into the wine, the Bible says that the disciples believed on him. Again, those miracles were proving his deity, that he had power and authority. Uh, John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54, the miracle of the healing. It, it proved that Christ had power over the physical realm, right? He had the power to heal uh, and, and, and to, to do miracles. And so, and so Christ wanted his disciples to understand how to follow him. Okay? He, he gave them knowledge of himself, and they needed to see who he truly was so that they knew how to follow him. And so here's your next blank. Uh, the disciples of Christ need to learn to place their faith in him, not in his what? Not in his miracles. I mean, listen, just, Jesus didn't heal every single person, right? Did, Jesus didn't feed every single person. There's a, there's a very specific reason and context for every one of those things. But yet, in the midst of all of that, there were a group of people that he was training, and they needed to have knowledge of who he was. And so it proved to those disciples that he truly was the Son of God, okay? Uh, and, and so the, the trust was in him. It's not in his, his miracles. It's in the person of Christ, the disciples needed to establish a relationship with him instead of works for him. And, and so this, this stage of spiritual growth, this little stage, I mean, it, it, it kind of relates to the old, the old enlightenment stage that we talk about, you know, as the seven, uh, the seven levels of discipleship, because Christ reveals who he is to the disciple. Let me say this in the room, those of you that are disciples, when you're in this stage, it's like Jesus Christ is so real to you. Man, he's answering prayer. He's showing up like every day in a very real way. And it may be just silly things in life, but you, you ascribe what God is doing to him. You give him glory. It's like, man, when you pray, God answers. And it's like God is just proving himself almost miraculously, if I can say that, without being charismatic. But he's proving himself to you not for work's sake, He's proving himself to you for his name's sake so that you trust in him. And, and I'll give you the spoiler. When you learn to trust and have a relationship with him, well, later on, if those works or, or the, the miracles don't necessarily happen, you still trust him. It's not dependent on what he does. It's dependent on his character. It's who he is, right? And I, I'm telling you, man, I, I, love, I love discipling people and seeing them hit this stage and it's like every week they're like man here's what God's doing here's what I prayed about here's what God's I mean it's just miraculous and so I give them my prayer list because I want them praying for me <laughs> I mean, I'm selfish you know whatever let me give you a couple things you move to the top of your prayer list while you're in this enlightenment stage but I also warn them hey man you need you need to hang on to that and, and, and it's not as much about the thing is about who's answering those prayers. It's the person of Christ. And, and so when you get to a point later on where you don't see all the flashing lights and the, and the fluff, he's still the same God. And you can trust him. He's showing you that now, 
so that you can trust him not only now, but you can, you can trust him later, right? Uh, because there come a day, man, when, you're, when your faith is challenged. Okay, so, so that's that little child stage. How are we doing? Everybody okay? All right, and then if we can get through stage four today, uh, so we're halfway there, uh, we're going to be doing good. So I think, I think we're right on track. The third stage, the, the third stage of spiritual growth and development is a child. Okay, and, and again, when we look at the, the scriptures, God does differentiate little children from children. He, he uses those words independently. And so this is the stage where some spiritual knowledge has been established. Okay, this is the stage where spiritual knowledge has been established. And so, and so let's talk about the specifics of this. Number one, spiritual children know how to walk in truth because they've added knowledge. So now we, we've gone from that little child where they're, they're kind of unstable, you know, they're standing, they're taking some steps, but now we've got a, 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 a child that can walk all through the room, right? She, he or she can walk all through the house, go up and down the stairs. They're, they're growing and maturing. Christians that are at this stage, they're walking in truth because they've added knowledge into their life. And so 2 John verse 4, let me, let me give you the verses real quick. Uh, John writes, he says, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children, here's what they're doing. They're walking in truth. Not just knowing truth. They're, they're walking in that truth. They're, they're living out their faith. 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And, and as parents, we understand that. But as disciple makers, man, even more so. When you, when you invest the Word of God into this man or, or, or your lady investing the Word of God into this woman, and man, it's like, it's kind of like what Brian said earlier, man. Man, we're, we're doing it and we're, you're so close to it, maybe you don't even see it, you know? And then if you take a step back or somebody else in your church is like, bro, uh, can I just tell you, man, that dude is blowing up. He is, I talked to him the other day and it's like he's a different person. The spiritual conversation I had with that guy compared to like six months ago, totally different. Why? Because he's walking, he's walking in truth. He's, he's added knowledge to his virtue, okay? Uh, so this is the marker. It's spiritual knowledge. Number two, spiritual children, they walk in a very specific direction. They're, they're followers of God. They're walking as followers of God. They're, they're walking in a direction that's following God. Ephesians 5.1. Be therefore followers of God as, as dear children. You guys have little rugrats that follow you through the house. Anybody, anybody, I've got a ten-year-old and a five-year-old now, so they're starting to independently think and you know think they've got it figured out. But uh, when they were young, of course, you know both of them, man. Anywhere you went, they were right, just right. I mean, I almost had to be careful, like turning around, so I didn't kick one of them. I mean, they're just right under you, and and that's a cool thing. And 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 as 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 spiritual children, man, when, when you start walking in truth, that automatically means that you're going to walk in a certain direction. You're going to be following Christ because the truth of God's Word will sanctify you unto Himself. Does that make sense? So, so they're going a certain direction, but spiritual children aren't fully mature, um, you know, fully conformed to the image of Christ Christians. They've still got growth to, to accomplish. And so there are some characteristics or deficiencies. I don't even like the word deficiencies, but, but these are characteristics, okay, of a spiritual child. They're still weak. They're still weak. So I got a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old, both girls. Uh, pray for me. And, uh, 
One of the things now at my house is they want to wrestle, which I don't really get that. They're, they're little girls. It, it, it's really strange, man, to me. And so, you know, the 10-year-old especially is like pushing the envelope on this. And she's like, just get in the floor. <laughs> what? <laughs> just go ahead and get in the floor. And, you know, if I lay down on the floor, then it's like elbow, you know, all this stuff is going down. We don't even watch wrestling at my house. It's really weird. And it takes like two seconds, you know, to reverse a move and then pin my 10-year-old down and make her start screaming. And it's just hilarious. Uh, she thinks she's strong, man, but, you know, she's still weak. She's 10. She, she ain't got it yet. And, you know, I'm going to teach her, though, because she's a girl, so it'll save me from shooting somebody. Anyways, okay. <laughs> Spiritual children are still weak. They're not, they're not strong in the Word of God, in their walk and doctrine. They're not strong yet. Um, and, and so in your notes, spiritual children, they're walking in truth, but they're still weak in doctrine. Okay? They're still weak in doctrine. And we get that out of Ephesians chapter 4 because, again, God uses these words very specifically in the Scriptures. He, sa he says in verse 14, again, Paul warning the Ephesians, that, that we henceforth be no more children. And, and he's going to give you some, some insight into what a spiritual child is. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him, right, in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And, and, and so I just want to make this point that, listen, discipleship, at least let me just say this, your, your pastor can say it different at his church, but for us at Community <laughs> Fellowship, we understand that disciple, we would say that discipleship one is designed to get a person from a babe in Christ to a child. And, and that's about as far as it's going to... Discipleship 1 will, will prayerfully accomplish the spiritual maturity needed to get someone from a babe in Christ to where they're walking in Christ, following Christ, they're a spiritual child, but they, they need more after that. Is that and, and pastors in the room, you can ag you agree or nod your head, no way, you're an idiot, Jay. Okay. Uh, so, so my point is that process of discipleship one, we're going to talk about a lot more levels or stages after this, but D1, at least in our context, we would say is designed to get a person from a babe in Christ to a spiritual child. Where they're walking with God, they have a right relationship with God, they're walking in truth, but there's still an opportunity for them to be tossed to and fro, man, and to be carried about with every wind of doctrine. And, and we got to know doctrine. But that comes later, right? It, it comes as we're walking in the truth that we know. Okay, and so the second point is this. Spiritual children, they're still vulnerable to deceit. That's why you need to safeguard your disciple, man. Because even at this point in discipleship, man, there are people, and, and man, the devil himself, man, that's lying in wait to deceive and, and to toss to and fro the, the simplicity that's in Christ and and they're not going to be doctrinally sound in all things at this point, but there ought to be some things that they have under their belt. So, um, and, and so we need to be aware of that as disciples, that they are still vulnerable uh, to, to deceit. Okay, so, so how does someone that's a child grow, continue to grow spiritually the way God intended? Okay, they need to add temperance. Now again, I want you to write the blank and then go back to your first page. 
And if, if you haven't got 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 8 highlighted, underlined, asterisked in your Bible, you need to do that after today. Um, giving all diligence, add to your faith what? Virtue. And to virtue we add knowledge. And then to knowledge we add we add temperance. And so God, again, has a very sequential um, process that He want, wants us to go through. And so temperance... There it is. Temperance is the process of strengthening by purging some things and adding some things. Um, you know, a lot of times we use the, the illustration of tempered glass, where, where it has to have certain additives added to it to strengthen it, to make it rigid, or tempered steel, right? Has, tempered steel has certain things added to it and taken away from it in a, in a refining process to strengthen it. And, and so as we talk about temperance in a Christian's life, as a, as a maturing believer's life, there are certain things that need to be added and certain things that need to be purged or taken away so that they can continue to grow. There has to be a balance in their life for strength and for rigidity as a believer in Christ. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Know ye not that they which run a race uh, run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain... And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And then Paul says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. In other words, hey man, this is not just, I'm not just wailing and throwing my arms around trying to, uh, it's very precise what I'm trying to do here. I keep, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. And so if we're going to strive for the mastery, we have to learn to be temperate. We have to add temperance to our knowledge. That knowledge that we gain has to be tested. It has to be tried. It has to be proven. Uh, and so Paul gives the illustration of one that runs a race. And he says if you want to win, you've got to run a certain way. You know, My dad, uh, just a personal story, my dad uh, growing up, was military and he kind of did the military thing for a while and he got out of the military and he did mechanicing for a while and he kind of hit a kind of a low point in his life as a as a man so to speak kind of let himself go smoke drink all that all that good stuff kind of got fat whatever and uh he would tell you that i mean it's not anything that you know i'm not disrespecting my dad uh, but i remember as a as a middle schooler my dad i came home one day after school and my dad was like running in the house I was like, what, what are you doing? And man, he was so out of shape. Like he ran from one end of the house, the bedroom, through the kitchen, to the living room, and run back. And man, he was like sucking wind. You know, I mean, he was just he was having a heart attack. He was like, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start running. I was like, what are you, what? He's like, I'm, I'm about to get this under control, you know, type thing. And so, you know, a week goes by, get off the bus, come home. Man, he's running around the house. He's finally got enough wind to make it around the house a couple of times. You know what I'm saying? And so this goes on for a couple of weeks. And the next thing you know, man, he's striking off down the road for a quarter of a mile and coming back. And, and, and it's just weeks and weeks and weeks go by, months go by. And next thing you know, man, he can, he can knock out like a 5K and, uh, and, and not be dying at the end of it. And, and what I noticed was when he started running initially, man, he didn't really care what he had on, sweatpants, tennis shoes, you know, whatever. But the more proficient at running he got, the more strategic at running he got. In other words, his shoes started changing. He went and invested in some better shoes. 
he invested in those really nice short running shorts that are like <laughs> paper thin, you know what I'm saying? Way too high cut. And the reason why is because he wanted to run efficiently, right? He, he, runnered, he was striving for something. And the more he strove for it, it changed the way he, 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 it changed the way he ran. And, uh, and my dad, the, the coolest part of the story is he continued on that journey and became a pretty decent runner, kind of middle age, and actually uh, got to where he was running marathons, several marathons annually. Was re-enlisted with the, the military in the National Guard and was on their marathon team. Uh, and so they sent like five guys from the Alabama National Guard or whatever to different states and they all ran marathons and raced each other and all that jazz. And so when I read this verse, man, it's just as a picture, you know, as a kid, I, I can remember how, you know, because my dad was focused on a target and, and was trying to strive for something, man, he wanted to win the prize. The way he ran changed. He, he added some things into his life and he purged some things. He, he stripped away the things that would would limit his ability to, to run further and to run faster. And, uh, and so when I, when I read that passage, it, it makes me think about my dad a lot. And so, you know, here's the principle. Look, as a babe in Christ, as a babe in Christ, you learn to lay aside sin. You need to learn that early on. Man, you, you're going to sin. When you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And again, you need to learn to deal with sin as a, as a Christian. But I'm telling you, as a spiritual child, because you're maturing, you begin to lay aside some weights in your life so that you can more effectively run, okay? And, and if, I want you to look at the verse in Hebrews chapter 12, right? Verse 1. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. And, and these two things will be the limiting factor in our lives as Christians. But as you're growing and maturing, again, babes in Christ, you need to learn how to deal with sin and, and learn to sin not. But when you sin, realize you have an advocate with the Father. But as you grow into this child stage, you're going to start making the decisions spiritually that there are some things that are going to hold me back from running this race that God's put me on. You know, it, there are going to be some things in my life that I have to learn to count to the cost, purge from my life so that I can gain Christ and, and finish this course and finish my race uh, so that I win the prize. Okay, and, and so lastly, we, we see it in Jesus' ministry. Again, uh, this is the time frame uh, from, from the ministry in Capernaum until immediately right before the call of the apostles. And again, you're going to have to spend some time self-study kind of how this relates back to Christ's ministry, but you'll see the picture. These disciples that he has called to follow him now participate in some form of ministry involvement. And so as we're discipling people and they're hitting the near completion of discipleship one, we need to be bringing them into whatever ministry that we're serving in. We, we need to get them actively participating in the ministry, not only what we're serving in, but we need to get them actively participating in evangelism. <laughs> Let's just move it that maybe to the top. <laughs> they need to be participating in evangelism. We need to teach them how to lead other people to Christ, but they also need to be serving in the ministry of, of our local church. You need to have that person with you um, 
just like the disciples were with Christ. Okay, so there's a few principles that we'll see uh, in this stage of ministry. Uh, and again, we see it through the life of the disciples as it relates to this level of, of spiritual maturity. Number one, it demands public surrender. And again, at some point, man, there's got to be this, this laying aside of weights and, 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 and a full surrender to what the Lord has called us to do. We see that in the disciples' life. We see it in, in the New Testament application with Paul and Timothy and, and all the, uh, the, the disciples of, of the New Testament churches. Uh, number two, the, to follow Christ means to be evangelistic. And, and, I, and there's a fine balance, man, because, again, we can, we can only do evangelism and we're not fulfilling the Great Commission. And I think the error for a lot of our churches, at least for my church, is that we so focus on discipleship, but, but we forget that discipleship begins with evangelism. And, and again, our context is different maybe from... from other churches, we all have different contexts, and uh, man, we can get so focused on just the, the ministry of discipleship within our church that we forget. We got to go reach lost people to bring them in, and and so this is this is critically important. Okay, uh, so to follow Christ means that we're evangelistic. Uh, to follow Christ is to love the sinner, and again, if you look in Matthew chapter nine, don't turn there for time's sake, but you see Christ Himself eating with publicans and sinners. He had a relationship. He loved people. He wanted to build a connection and a relationship. Luke chapter 19 uh, talks about Zacchaeus. Uh, and, and when people saw Zacchaeus and saw Christ uh, building a relationship with Zacchaeus, they're like, man, that dude's a sinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Christ loved him, man. He wanted to have a relationship uh, with him. Okay. And then fourthly, uh, to follow Christ, and we see it from the disciples' life, is to trust in God's power and God's faithfulness. Uh, again, if you go back to the stories in Matthew chapter 8, the disciples are in a boat, they're in a ship, and the storm comes. And, and it's, it's kind of like, man, are we, we're going to die in this boat type thing? And, and they had to learn to trust in Christ's power over the physical realm. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, the disciples saw that Christ had the power to heal the sick in Matthew 9, verses 10 to 26, he saw that Christ, they saw that Christ had the power to heal the blind man. Uh, in Matthew 9, verse 35, Christ healed every, uh, everyone that was full of sickness and disease. And, and so those disciples began to see uh, this, this is God in the flesh. That's who he is. And, and we're going to serve alongside him. Okay? Uh, and, and there are some obstacles. When you get to this stage in spiritual maturity, at this spiritual child stage, there are some challenges. Uh, to overcome. There's some obstacles to overcome, one of which is a fear of people. Oh, man. Hang on a second. There we go. There it is. There it is. One of which is a fear of people. Okay? Fear goes in your blank. Yeah. So if you go back to John chapter 15, Jesus warns his disciples, hey, listen, if the world hated me, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do what to you? It's going to hate you too. Now, how many of you in this room just love being hated? Like, man, I, I really thrive on just being hated. Like, that gets me motivated to just keep going with life. Nobody likes that at all. Christ warned his disciples and taught his disciples, hey, listen, listen, if you keep following me and, and you keep walking with me and, and you do the ministry I've left you with, I'm just going to tell you, this world system is going to hate you. 
And this is, a, this is a critical level of spiritual growth and development because we have to get over our fear of, of people. We just have to fear the Lord and walk with the Lord and trust the Lord. And we don't have to fear what any other human can do to us. Right. We don't have to fear what another human can do to us, okay? Uh, in this level of spiritual growth, we, we typically also have to overcome a resistance to change. How many of you like change? Yeah. You're weird, okay, and the rest of us are normal. Okay, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're just way more spiritual than uh, uh, you've, you've so excelled in your walk with God. <laughs> Man, I hate change. I really hate it, you know, I really hate it. So, so you know, uh, James gave me the invite a couple of weeks ago to come uh, preach on Sunday morning, which I was humbled by. I was like, man, you must have misdialed. Why did you call me? Um, and so I prepared, sent all my stuff over. And so uh, Saturday, I'm hanging out at James's house. We're drinking coffee, just chilling. And he's talking. And, and again, I don't know how y'all do church over here at, at Oakland Heights. I don't know kind of what your, your deal is. And he said something about the second service. I said, <laughs> what? Second service? He's like, yeah, this after, after the second service. I was like, well, if there's a second service, that means there's a first service. I said, are you guys doing two services? Oh, yeah, I didn't tell you that. No, you didn't. No, you didn't tell me that. You didn't give me that information. He's like, yeah, man, you're going to need to preach that back to back, like with about 15 minutes in between. I was like, well, fantastic. That's awesome. <laughs> back that up to like a month ago, I got an email from Greg Wimpy saying, uh, hey, all you guys that are teaching on the day sessions, I need all your notes and slides and all that jazz, and here's what it needs to look like. And I was like, I sent him an email back. I was like, hey, bro, um, did you send me this by accident? I mean, I'm not, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. He's like, oh, yeah, uh, James didn't tell you that you're teaching on Sunday or on, uh, you know, the morning sessions? James didn't tell you that? I was like, no, he didn't tell me that. I don't like change, man. <laughs> I like a lot of time to know what's happening. So I know how to get mentally and spiritually and emotionally prepared. Well, the ministry ain't like that. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I'm just saying, man, we, we, we still struggle with that. I still struggle with that. I don't, I don't like change. So, so I was like, man, I'm going to show up disciple conf and God only knows what's going to happen uh, uh, <laughs> with the schedule anyways. Uh, number three, a, a thing that we have to guard against, at least in this level or overcome, is a spirit of laziness and procrastination. And we need to be reminded, again, this is a verse you want to go back and highlight in your Bible. Romans 14 and verse 12, the Bible says every one of us, I don't mean to tell you this judgmentally, but, but, but I want to motivate us as Christians. Listen, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And, and so there is a temptation at the end of discipleship or nearing the end of discipleship. I've checked that box. I've finished those lessons. I've done that thing. I know that I don't have to read my Bible. I know I should be discipling other people, but I got stuff to do. I got a family. I got a job. There's a spirit of laziness and procrastination that we have to overcome in order to continue walking with Christ. And then lastly, a conflict of priorities. Uh, Luke 14, among other verses, Matthew chapter 4 we're going to have to realize that Christ has to have the preeminence in our life, uh, more than our family, more than our father, more than our career, more than our, our children that we're raising. Uh, Paul considered himself the prisoner of the Lord in Ephesians 4. 
Luke chapter 5, Peter was familiar with casting his nets. That's what he was familiar with. And he had to get familiar with following Christ. Uh, Brian nailed it earlier, man. He had to learn that his identity wasn't wrapped up in what he did. It was wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. And he, and he became that apostle that we see in the book of Acts, that, that mighty preacher, that mighty man of God. He, he became that because he had to deal... He had to deal with some of these things. And so this is kind of the, the end of that stage, of, of that spiritual stage of a child. Okay, how are we doing? We got like 15 minutes. You think we can get one more in? Okay. All right, can I get a swig? Thank you. All right, last stage that we'll talk about today. Fourth stage of spiritual growth and development. Stage of a young man. Stage of a young man. And this is kind of the goal, man. Uh, discipleship one, again, is to get us to that child stage. And, th and then at least at our church, we have what's called ministry tools and training. We want to see people grow from children to young spiritual men and women uh, maturing still in the Lord. So this level would be characterized by spiritual strength. Spiritual strength. Because this is really where, man, the Christian starts filling out, if you, if you will, so to speak. They're developing strength in the Word of God. So number one, young men are strong, okay? And again, the, the verses are in your notes. First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 14. I've written unto you young men because ye are what? Strong. You're strong. Where, where a child is still weak in the faith and in doctrine and can get blown about and tossed to and fro, man, a young man is strong in the Word of God. Proverbs 20 and verse 29 says this, the glory of young men is their, is their strength. So think of this as spiritual adolescence, right? Where, where spiritually speaking, a, a Christian starts filling out, man, coming into their own. Uh, man, they, they have strength, maybe, maybe not a lot of wisdom yet, but, but they do have strength and, and they need it, okay? Number two, young men have the Word of God abiding in them. And again, that verse 14, 1 John 2 and verse 14, it says, The Word of God abideth in you. Okay? Number three, young men have overcome the wicked one. And I always remember Pastor Mark preaching this, you know, and he, he talked about how uh, young men, when we talk about overcoming the wicked one, you see that in 1 John 2 and verse 13. He says, I write unto you young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. Oh, do you mean, you mean there, there's a point where, man, they, these dudes never sin again? Is that, is that kind of what it is? And that's not what he's talking about, man. The, the wicked one is the devil. He is, he is, he is Satan, and, and he operates, Satan operates in the realm of false doctrine and false religion. And, and so young men have got to the place in their life where they're strong in the Word of God. The Word of God abides in them, where the child spiritually still gets tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, man, the young man is able to overcome the wicked one. You guys remember Genesis chapter 3 when, when the serpent showed up in the garden and he showed up to Eve? What did he say? Yea, hath, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden, right? He questioned the authority of God's word. He moved her away from a position of faith in what God said to human reasoning and, and to the understanding of her eyes, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Satan moved her away from truth to, to false religion and to false doctrine by questioning the authority of God's Word. Young men have overcome the wicked one. They're, they're strong in the Word of God, okay? First John 2 and verse 14 says, I've written unto you young men 
because you're strong and the word of God abideth in you and you've overcome the wicked one, okay? So th this is the goal, man. I mean, we want to get people maturing to this point for sure, but this isn't the last stage, all right? And, and, and so another characteristic of young men is they may not be unstable doctrinally, but they're still immature. They just don't think they are. <laughs> and some of us can remember uh, being just idiots. Some of us still are idiots, but and I got some really good flashbacks of being an idiot. And thank God I was around pastors and leaders that knew I was an idiot and loved me enough to tell me. Okay, so, <laughs> man, uh, man, young men are, are still spiritually immature, okay? Uh, their heart and their mind, or, or their, a young man's heart and mind are still growing, but it needs to mature. Titus warns, he says in Titus 2 and verse 6, when Paul writes to Titus, he says, Young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded, to have a controlled mind, a mind that's under control, okay? Because young men spiritually, man, they think they got the world conquered. They think they got it all figured out, got ministry figured out, just let me go, cut me loose, I'm going to go... I'm going to go kill it for the Lord, so to speak. And Okay, hang on, bro. <laughs> hang on. You're not quite there yet. And here's, here's the next critical stage or critical characteristic. You know, a young man is not yet a father. There's a difference between a young man and a father. And so 1 Corinthians 4 tells us, verse 15, Though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many, many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I've begotten you through the gospel. There's a difference between somebody that's just strong in the Word of God and somebody that's a spiritual father. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and man, we've got to get strong in the Word of God for sure. But, but the difference is fruit. The difference is reproduction. The difference is maturity. Right? That's what makes a father. Uh, that's what's different between a father and a young man that's just a spiritual you know, adolescence, so to speak. And so, and so man, we want to get people to this stage... But we also want to get people past this stage. God wants to get people past this stage. And so what do they need to add to their life? The thing they ain't got. <laughs> Patience, right? It's the thing they ain't got. Uh, so if you go back to the first page, right? Uh, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience. And man, listen, young men ain't patient. They're not patient. And what do they need? They need patience. And so, and so here's the thing, man. Patience is about enduring difficulty. And, and patience, according to the book of James, has a perfecting work in a believer's life, right? Now, you always hear the joke, right? Don't ever pray for patience. You've, you've heard that. Maybe it's not a joke. Maybe it's a reality. Uh, I don't It's at the book of uh, Second Hesitations, I think, is where it's quoted from. Anyways, <laughs> You don't, pray, you don't pray for patience because God will give it to you, you know, type thing. He'll give you the, the circumstances to develop it, so to speak. Well, listen, as a young man, I can assure you they're not praying for patience, but it's the very thing God's going to put in their life, the, the circumstances in order to develop patience, right? They have to add patience to temperance. And so there are going to be difficult challenges and things that come into their life because they need to be perfected. They need to be matured. Uh, James chapter 1 says, Knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So it's a trial. And it's a trial specifically of your faith. Remember, a young man, he's strong in the Word of God. The Word of God abides in him. Well, guess what? That's got to be tried. It's got to be tested. And, and, and when that gets tested, it's going to work patience. 
It says, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, warning nothing. And, and, and so this is an important part, as every stage is important. This is an important part of our growth and development. And, and so here's a principle. And again, pastors, we, we got to understand this. Young men, spiritually speaking, shouldn't be guarded from difficulty. Uh, it's required as part of their maturity. And uh, I, again, man, I can remember going through and, and, and experiencing some of these things and the people that were in my life, pastors, leaders, man, they saw it because they knew what was happening. And, and they let it happen. <laughs> and they let me... They let me go through some really difficult things with a watchful, prayerful eye, knowing that if I would just continue to trust in the Lord, that God would bring me through that. And God, God, would, God would perfect me, mature me. Uh, they didn't run to my rescue, so to speak. And I think sometimes as pastors, man, especially as shepherds, we, 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 we tend to, I do anyways, that's just part of my character and nature, man. I want to jump in and help and fix the situation or whatever. But, but sometimes... People have to go through a trying of their faith so that patience can be developed, right? God, God wants to put that in their life. And, and so as we're training men, as we're training disciples, and again, now we're talking about beyond discipleship one, but we're still talking about discipleship, uh, people have to experience difficulty. And, and when it gets hard, we have to let God be faithful in their life and, uh, and let patience be something that becomes a reality. And so in, in, in Christ's ministry, we see this again, uh, let's finish up. We got like five minutes here. Uh, we see this in uh, uh, from Christ's withdrawal from Capernaum and his prayer on the mountain until when he chose those apostles to be sent out. Matthew chapter twelve. And so uh, we see leadership development, so to speak, in the life of the apostles uh, of Christ. Everything rises and falls on leadership. That's a, a, a significant ministry principle. Many of you know this. These young men that are mature in God's word are going to be the people that become leaders in our ministries and in our churches. Uh, ultimately, will become uh, pastors and uh, missionaries, things like that, as, as they continue to grow and mature. We need to understand that God always uses men to lead His people. Men aren't perfect. God is. And, and God always uses His people to lead His people. And so God used Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He didn't have to do that, but He chose to do that. Right? Moses is a servant of the Lord. God used Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land. Again, Joshua was called a servant of the Lord. We saw that uh, Sunday morning. God used Ezra to lead Israel to rebuild Jerusalem. God used Peter to take the gospel to the Jews. And again, man, that fisherman became a fully devoted follower of Christ and used by, by God mightily. Man, you read early Acts and it's... It's Peter, dude. He is preaching with boldness and authority. That fisherman found his identity in Christ. And then God used Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so, and, and again, we'll, we'll burn through this real quick. Uh, leaders are selected. They're not elected or self-appointed. Uh, we see this in Christ's ministry. Christ didn't say, okay, open, open application time for everybody that wants to be an apostle. Just put your resume in and give me all the credentials of why you're qualified. That's, that's not the way it worked. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, It came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain. This is really important. What did he go to that mountain to do? To pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples... 
Very important. And of them, in other words, of the disciples that were following him, he chose 12 whom he also named what? Apostles. And so he, he selected these people that would be in leadership from among the disciples that were following. And he did it after a night of continual prayer. And, uh, and God help us in our churches, man, to make sure that we're praying over leadership decisions, man, and leadership select. We, we had humbly better come to, to the Lord uh, for his wisdom and his discernment. Christ himself did that. We need to follow that example. Uh, point number five, anyone, anyone can preach. We're all called to preach the gospel. Uh, but again, at this young man stage, we're talking about spiritual leadership. Uh, to hold the office of an elder or pastor or bishop uh, requires ordination. It, it requires proof of worthiness. It requires accountability uh, to another pastor or pastors. And you see this again uh, in the book of Acts. Okay, These are apostles who Christ himself chose. In Acts chapter 14, uh, you see that they had ordained elders in every church and prayed with fasting and commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Okay, And so this is leadership development and leadership selection. Number six. Is that number six or number one in your notes? Okay, it's I jacked up the numbering in mind. Uh, leaders must first be proven. Okay, First Timothy three and verse six says that that a bishop should be a novice, being lifted up with pride, lest he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Right? Uh, this it's important to have a track record. This is and I'll just go back to what Brian said earlier, man. Listen, this is why discipleship in the context of a local church is so important. Because, because you can see someone progress from a babe in Christ to a little child, to a child, to a young man, and then ultimately to a father. You can see that right in front of you in the context of a local church. We don't have to hire somebody from the outside to come in that we know nothing about. And, and again, man, I, I don't want to be weird and an idiot, but just because they have a certain amount of education or degree or accolade, it doesn't qualify them for ministry. That leaders have to be proven, and, and God's vehicle for ministry is the local church. And that's where they need to be proven, okay? 1 Timothy 3 and verse 10, let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless, okay? Uh, and then lastly, the proving ground for leaders. Many times, the first place of their ministry is always going to be their home. It's always going to be their home, right? 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Verses 4 and 5 talk about ruling well his own house. Because if he can't rule his own house well, how shall he take care of the church of God? And so, uh, praise the Lord, man. We're getting into kind of the, those higher levels of spiritual growth at this point. And so we'll pick up tomorrow morning uh, with stage number 5. All right? Any questions? Everybody's like, <laughs> Drinking from a fire hose this morning. <laughs> Any blanks that you missed that I can help you with? Anything you need? Guys, I really appreciate, appreciate your time. Let me pray for us. I got two uh, items of, of instruction from Greg Wimpy. Let me pray and I'll give you that and, and then we'll get out of here. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you again for um, the morning. Uh, thank you for this group, Lord, that, that again, um, all different levels of people in here. And I'm thankful for that, Lord. Your body of, your body of believers is so diverse. It's awesome. We're many members but one, and I'm thankful for that. Help us to understand this process of growth, Lord, so that, number one, we know where we are. Number two, where, where we're going. And then those of us that are 
privileged enough to disciple other people, God. Help us to see this in the life of this person that we're discipling. Help us to understand there is a pattern, there's a process, there's, there's key markers along the way that we can pay attention to scripturally so that the image of Christ can be, con or, or, that our lives can be conformed to the image of Christ. Help us to bring you glory, Lord. We love you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, two items of discussion. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.